It was at the first of the 1800s that a man met the love of his life. She was a lot like he was, a child of a minister. Um, and they uh, started a family together. He felt a calling into his life, and he and his now wife uh, served as a minister of a church for many, many years. They had a few children. Uh, one was a son that they loved dearly named Frederick. Uh, Frederick was smarter than most of the kids in his class. He was bright. The teachers liked him. He never struggled. He uh, became an intellectual later in life. Frederick did. Um, all along having two grandfathers who were ministers and a dad that was a minister. But Frederick saw the church and he didn't like what it did. And this is in the 1800s. And so this German boy who became a philosopher coined a phrase that you and I may have heard. You may have heard of it because you read a lot. You may have heard of it because you bought a newsboy's record. But he coined the phrase, God is dead. At the end of the 1800s, it was a sensational thought that at some point, God died. That at some point in history that God was living, but then he just stopped living. It grieved his father. A lot of people began to buy into Frederick's thoughts. This Frederick Nietzsche of Germany became somebody a lot of people began to follow. And he gave a, a quote at, at a, a, a speak, speaking event where he says, If you believe as I do that God is dead, let me tell you what will happen. Eventually the 20th century will come. And in the 20th century, it will be the bloodiest century in history. It will also be the century where madness will occur in all the people. Let me ask you a question. As many people began to believe in what Frederick was saying, I believe the 20th century was the bloodiest we've ever seen. And madness surely has come. But one thing that Frederick got wrong is that God is very much still alive. You see, here's the problem with belief. If you believe in something deeply enough, it will take you where it wants to go. So today, if your belief is not in Jesus risen, who can save us from our sins, your belief is in something that will take you where it wants to go. You see, belief drives the ship. It always does. What you believe will take the steering wheel eventually. And for those that say, I don't believe in anything, you're wrong. You have a belief system. You just don't know what it is. You see, we all have a belief in something. We all hold on to something that carries us through. The question is this, what is our belief saying we are? Whether you believe it or not, you have a God. The question is this. Who is it? Is it the person that stares at you in the mirror each day? The reflection of yourself? Is it a, a God of wealth? A God of power? Is it a God of a future? Or is it a God who has abided? Who made you in his image? And who despite us, despite our brokenness, came after us and gave of himself to keep relationship 
with us. I want you to capture the fullness of this before we get to the text today. I want you to see it for a second. You are someone, and this is in fictional world, okay? Ready to go there with me? You are the wealthiest person ever. You have a castle. You have servants. You lack for nothing. Anything that you want, you have. People admire you. You're someone to be looked at. The magazines write articles about you. The newspapers are always interviewing people around you. The news stations always have a truck out in front of your place. And you look out the door one day and say, who's going to take over this one day? And so you have a child. And this child looks just like you. And, and they go about their days and all they do with all that you've given them is squander it. They, they get quoted in the newspaper saying, you're the worst of the worst. They, they're often seen wearing shirts that say, you are not it or you died. Your heart is grieved. You don't know how to handle this. But a light bulb goes off. And that light bulb that's turned on all of a sudden makes you think, how can I show my child that I love them? And so you do what only you know how to do. You start to monitor what your child does. And your child starts committing crimes. And eventually, your child kills someone. Day of the trial comes. There your child sits next to the lawyer. You're sitting in the galley and, and you just, you don't know what to do. You're looking around and finally the judge says, well, all the evidence is clear. You did the crime. You must face the fine. And in your heart, you stand and say, Judge, if I may, I will pay the fine. I will do the time. The judge looks at you and says, but you don't understand. You're going to have to die because of this crime. But the love for your child is so great, you just can't help but say, it's okay. I'll pay the fine. With this, you look at your child who sneers at you. As though to say, I hope you die well because I will take all you've got. There you serve the perfect fine. Your life taken for theirs. Everyone writes about it in the newspaper how foolish you are to stand in place of a child that's so arrogant, so broken, so rude. But in your heart, you know, they've always been yours. It may seem far-fetched, but I can tell you this. That is exactly the heart of God. He knows how wretched we are. He knows how broken I am. And yet he paid a fine that I could not pay. My sins were so devastating that it was absolutely Sending me a paycheck called hell. But Jesus stood in my place at that trial. 
And he said, but you don't understand, Judge. I love Kyle. I will pay the fine. And he did it on a cross. But he didn't stay there, did he? If you believe as I do in the Bible, he not only died for my sins, he rose again. So that he could not only be victorious over my sin, but also over my death. He lives. You know, I hope today that you'll understand something. That God loves you so much that he made a plan for you before he even formed the earth. He knew how wretched we would be. He knew how broken we would get. And he knew how stubborn we are. Yet before the oceans were put into place, before a star in the sky, Jesus was there and he knew he would die for you. You imagine for a moment, God makes this perfect garden for Adam and Eve to dwell in with his presence. Like he walked, God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he tells them there's one tree that I want you to avoid. Because on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so they walk with God. And they have this relationship with God. And it's amazing. They lack for nothing. Nothing. They lack for nothing. But that tree's there. And they see it all the time. And one day as they're walking, there's the serpent. Hey, Eve, what do you think about this tree? Oh, God told us not to eat of that tree. Um, he goes, did he really say that? Because what he really meant to say is if you eat of this tree, you'll be like he is. Don't you want to be like him? I mean, you don't have all the knowledge. He does. And isn't that kind of limiting for you? And so he's like, well, it can't be that bad. And so she takes of the fruit and she turns around to Adam, who is with her, and they both take. And in that moment, God's plan was put in place. All the time when I was a kid, I remember reading Adam and Eve and being so mad at them. How foolish you have to be that you have God walking with you in the garden and you still take of that fruit? I mean, because of you too, I have times where my knees hurt. Because of those two, I got kidney stones in high school. Kidney stones. Those aren't fun. It's all because of them. As I got older, I realized it wasn't because of them. It's because of me. Because how many times have you and I gone to the tree of sin and taken of its fruit? Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he is the Lord of your life, the Savior of your soul, you have something in you that, frankly, the world is missing. You see, your neighbors that don't know Christ keep going back to that tree time and time again. And they think that it's nourishing their soul. But it's not. It's killing it. When I was in junior high, the MSG fad hit. 
Y'all remember when the MSG fad hit? I mean, we all ate MSG. We probably all still eat MSG. But it was in junior high that doctors started saying, did you know that our food has monosodium glutamate in it? I didn't even know how to spell monosodium. I still don't. But what we learned is this, that in food they put stuff in it to make it last longer. And none of us cared until then. But then all of a sudden, we all cared. My family ate Chinese food all the time. All of a sudden, that was like the witch's brew, right? Because everything was full of the MSG. We didn't even know that we were eating it. How about this? How many of y'all enjoy a nice apple from the grocery store? Yeah? Any of y'all wash off the stuff on the outside of the apple? A few of you? You know, they polish it with like, like wax. None of us knew that. I thought all the apples that came off the tree were shiny. Didn't y'all? Like, that seems natural. It's the best fruit ever. It shines. No, it doesn't. It's dull. But when you get it at the grocery store, it's like, bing! You're like, oh, apple, mm, wax. But now we're told that we got to, like, put our apples in hot water and scrub them. That's too much work. I get my apples prepackaged with MSG. Um, I mean, don't you capture it yet that we all put poison in us all the time? We don't even know it. And our neighbors are spiritually putting poison in their souls. And it feels good to them. At some point, we've got to show them there's a better way. At some point, we've got to waken them up. But you can't do it by going to their door and going, oh, hello, what church do you attend? Oh, you don't. You're going to hell. Have a good day. That's not quite how that works. And today I want to show you why. I want to show you that there is a better way and that in Philippians we're given that better way. That Paul talks about it from his earnest heart to this church in Philippi. How he's trying to encourage them and keep them equipped and to send them out to give them courage to do more, to pursue Jesus deeply. And that's what we're supposed to do today. So in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 it says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ may abound. You know, as Paul writes to them, he's not in the best place. Most of the letters we get from Paul are in imprisonment. Most of them are through persecution. And so when he writes to the church and he's trying to equip them and encourage them, he's typically writing from a place that is not very encouraging. And so when we see his words and he's like, keep going, keep the faith, be encouraged, you got to know he's going, Lord, help me to do this. You ever done that for somebody? 
you're talking to them and they're like, man, I just, I need two minutes of your time. And you, you start to hear them talk and the whole time you're trying to encourage them, you can hear it back to you. Lord, let the words that are coming out of my mouth to them be my words into my heart. You ever had that moment? Man, I have. Where you're like, you know what, you just need to spend more time in the word and pray deeply and seek his face and be in community. And you're going, man, I need to do all those. I need to take my own medicine. So why are we here? Why do we exist? Why as a child of Jesus are you here? Well, we're here so we can make much of Jesus. We're here so we can make much of him, so that he can be made known, so that our neighbors may know him, so our co-workers may know them, so that everyone around us may know him, so we're here to make much of him. Because when we make much of Jesus, the world is going to see who he is. The problem is this, we all have our name on the back of our jerseys. You ever seen it? Football player goes into score, turns around, points at the back of the jersey. Not one of those guys that points at the back of the jersey can do it on their own. But they all find themselves doing this. Your neighbors don't need more of this. They need Jesus. And so when we make much of him, things change. 1 Peter 1, 3, 13 through 17 says this, Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Ready in your time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. Do you have hope in you? Today would you say, I have hope in my life? If so, you need to share it. Do you have joy in your life? You need to share it. Do you have love in your life? You need to share it. All these things come from one source, don't they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all fruits of what? The Spirit that's in us. Listen, if all of the world was in a drought, but you had the one source of water, how sad would it be that you would be the one person that would just keep the water to yourself while you watched your neighbors die of dehydration? As you watch kids at the school that your kids play with, as you watched leaders die from a lack of water, but yet you had plenty. You could see them out dying and you're in a swimming pool in your backyard. Oh, this is nice. We wouldn't do that. We'd say, hey, I've got water. Y'all, come on, I've got water. Come to my house. And, And you'd fill things up for them. You know why? Because that's what happens from the overflow of something. But in you should be the spirit overflowing out of you. We should have the Lord, the Lord working so deeply in us that we can't help but share him. We can't help but talk about him. We can't help but have joy and peace and patience, self-control. Those things come from him. And if we're not experiencing those things, it doesn't mean we're not saved. It just means we got to spend more time with him. He's the source. You ever seen somebody that says things like this? Well, I'm not good at self-control. That's just not one of my spiritual gifts. You're dang right it's not. It's a gift of God. You need him. You don't have it. You got to go to him. 
We should exhibit all of the gifts of the Spirit because He gives them richly. God pours Himself out in us and through us. He is filling us up. One of my favorite illustrations of this, I've said it a hundred times, is Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. The girl goes in and she steals the gum and she puts it in her mouth and she's like, mmm, roast beast, mmm, mmm. And she's like, ooh, mashed potatoes, mmm. And the dad's all like, ha, 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 because he's awful. Um, and then she goes, mmm, blueberry pie. And he's like, hey, that's awesome. And all of a sudden she turns into what? A blueberry. Do you remember what Willy Wonka says she has to do? She has to be squeezed. That's how she gets the juice out. Squeezed. Spiritually, every day you should be squeezed. And out of you should come Jesus. Not your favorite football team. Not your favorite subject. Not your family. Not your job. Jesus. Because you are his. You have been bought with a price. So that when you and I give our lives to him completely and he saves our soul and he leads our life, when we are squeezed by the world, he should come out. The problem is this, the world is waiting to be squeezed upon by Jesus and all they get is us. That's it. Look at me. We live in a world where pastors have become superheroes on TV and where Jesus is left on the sideline. We're living in a day where theology is considered dull. We live in a day where spending time with Jesus and his disciplines is considered too much time. Shame on us for those of us who have Jesus and we have to fit him into our schedule. I don't know if he ever had that moment. It's not in the Bible I read. Where he said, you know, I thought about the cross, but I'd really like to spend more time in the garden. I'll squeeze them in when I can get there. But man, we treat him that way. Lord, I'd rather stay in the garden than go to Gethsemane. Because in the garden, we can just hang out. Jesus died for our sins, not so that we would stay plump full of him, but so we would overflow out. To our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to strangers. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. That's what happens. You fall so deeply in love with Jesus that it overflows out of you. So when you're squeezed, Jesus comes out. Boom. But listen to what Paul says. He tells them, listen, I, I've got two equations here. Health isn't good. So I'm trying to decide, is it easier just to die and go and be with Jesus because that is awesome? Or is it to stay with you, which just means I get more time to serve him? By the way, do you know where in the Bible it says it's time to retire? Anybody ever found that scripture? Haven't either. Now, I get some of y'all worked and retirement came and you retired from work. But I've never found any time in all of scripture where Jesus says to somebody they're done until one point. And on that day I'll say to them, well and done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. The one time in scripture, by the way, anybody know the 
normal age where in Scripture God typically started using people? Anyone? Over 60. It's the typical number on a person's birth date where God would start to use them. Most of our heroes in the Old Testament were older. Only time God uses younger people that we know of in Scripture would be the disciples and Mary. The rest of them were older. You know why? We're not supposed to leave this world like, well, I'm resting now, I'll rest there too. We're supposed to burn out. We're supposed to go out in a flame of glory for his purpose. And here's Paul, weathered by the world, worn, tired, imprisoned. And he says, I don't know which is better. Keep on going for your sake or to go home to be with the Lord. Because either way, it's a good thing. I don't know about y'all. But I'm very excited about the day that I'll get to be with Jesus. But until he takes me there, I want to work for him. I want it to be said that when people look at me and say, what do you do, Kyle, for a living? I can say, don't you know I'm about my father's business? And so should you. No matter where you work, no matter what you do. You should be in dad's business. Because that's what he calls us to be in. That means you can be about his business without a pulpit. It means you can be about his business as a school teacher. You can be about his business if you mow lawns for a living. You can be about his business if you're a surgeon. You can be about his business no matter what profession you're in or age you're at. But I can tell you this. Even in death, Paul tells us, we gain proximity to Jesus. We get this moment with him, and it's powerful. Even in death, we get this moment of transition with him. Here's the other thing. We keep on going for one reason. We keep on going so that others may know Jesus. We keep on going for his purpose. Mark 12 tells us this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength, and then Jesus says this, the second commandment, greatest commandments like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. What if we started loving our neighbors like we loved our family? What if we started showing them Jesus so that they may know him? What if we saw more people saved in alleyways than in church pews? Do you think that God can save someone's soul on our front porch? Yeah. Think God can save someone's soul on a golf course? Yeah. In a classroom? In a hospital room? In a Walmart line? Maybe not, but, you know, of course he can. Of course he can. And we exist for that purpose so others may know him. That's your job today. That's your calling. In Christ, you are called to his business. You and I get that chance. The last thing that Christ teaches us through Paul in Scripture is this. Are we boasting about Jesus? I want to talk to you about that for a second because Jeremiah gives us a a pretty clear understanding of what that looks like. In Jeremiah 9, this isn't on the screen. Jeremiah 9 says this. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. 
But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Our boast should be in the fact that we are choosing in our lives to understand and know God. It should be a lifelong pursuit of who we are. It should be your lifelong pursuit with me. Together we should know God. We should be pursuing him. And when we feel like we don't know him, spend more time with him. Uh, Dale and I talk all the time about one of the saddest but probably one of the most rewarding things that we do is spending time with families before a funeral service. We, we know people in our church. We, we know them on a personal level. We love them. But in that moment where you sit with a family and you start to unravel that person's history, where they worked, what they loved, people like Mary who loved to dance, I love that about her. I, just things that I learned from family, things that you uncover about their, their history, things that you learn about their loves and their passions that you never got to know. So when you stand up here at one of those celebrations and you get to unravel that before people, you're getting to tell their story. And it's beautiful. The most amazing thing about God is this. He has given you so much of himself that if you're not spending time with him, you don't know. I want to encourage you to spend time with God. Open your Bible up. Truthfully spend time. We've been talking as a church that starting in February, we're going to read the Bible together. Uh, we, we're going through the Immersed Bible together. Starting with Messiah. This is the New Testament. Um, you know, y'all have seen the table to buy stuff. And let me just tell you, you don't need this to spend time with God. You don't. In fact, please don't wait till February to spend time with God. Spend time with him personally. Spend time with him deeply. Don't make time for God. Free up time for God. As y'all have been with me during this fast that we've been on together, one of the things that I will, I guess, admit up to, if you will, is how much time I waste in a week with things. Uh, during my fasting, I'll tell you what I'm doing so that you'll know. Um, I gave up social media, um, which I have not missed at all. I thought I would, but turns out I don't care at all. Um, y'all should try that. It's beautiful. Um, I will say this. I miss a lot of news stories now because social media was my way of knowing news stories, but pff, I don't even care about the news stories now. But every breakfast, I'm a breakfast guy. I love spending time eating breakfast. It is my meal of choice. Of any meal during the day, that's my meal. And so as I was preparing for my fast, and I was praying through God, how would you like me to fast during this time? He said, give that up. And I was like, wait, time out. Let's give up something like eggs. That sounds good to me. I'll give up eggs. He's like, no, I want time. Because I spend a lot of time getting ready for breakfast. And so I've given that up. And it's amazing how much time I spent. And as I've been able to open my Bible more in the morning and spend more time with him, one of the things I realized was this. I don't miss breakfast. I don't miss it. 
Because what I started to discover is this. The Lord's enough. He's enough for us. And when my stomach in the morning is like, feed me, my heart says, I already am. We're good. I, I've chosen to give up caffeine. <laughs> I love caffeine. And that hasn't been hard, but also gave up sugar. Oh, I love sugar. I love sugar in caffeine. That's a magical mix. Can I just tell you, when that headache hit me, for those of y'all that have done that, and you feel that headache hit, it just reminded me of the time I wanted to have with the Lord. I'm going to ask you a question. How's your time with the Lord? I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you to write anything out or turn anything in. This isn't a test. I'm asking you personally, if it's just me and you in the room, and I could hear your inner dialogue today, and you're being really honest, you're, you're like, okay, Kyle, I, no one's recording, no one's going to hear. <laughs> so my time with the Lord has been... Now I'm going to ask you a question. You can lie to me. Are you lying to him? Are you lying to the Lord? Because he knows your inner thoughts. So, I want to give you a pattern until we get to February. It's a pattern I'm in and I'm enjoying this big time. Every day, if you're not a Bible reader and you just want to start, two books of the Bible. Acts and Proverbs every day. Read a couple of each. Read about how God started the work of his church world. And then hear as though you're reading your notes from your grandfather about how to live your life, about how to pursue wisdom. And how there's somebody lurking on the heels of wisdom that wants to take it away from her. As it describes in Proverbs. What if Monday morning you woke up and spent time with God and it changed your life? I'm, I'm just saying, what if for the first time in forever you woke up and spent time with God before you went to work, went to school, went shopping, went wherever? What if in that moment on Monday morning that you said nothing else is going to occur. I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier. I'm going to brush off time so I can spend time with Jesus. And what if in that moment, that 30 minutes, the Lord changed your life? Would it be worthy then? Because let me just tell you what I know about me. Every morning I spend time with the Lord, he changes my life. He reveals to me how I need to change. He reveals to me how I have not arrived yet, even though I stand behind a pulpit. He reminds me that he is enough and that I need him. So let me ask you a question. How's your time with Jesus? If you don't know him, I'm going to invite you into a special time. We call it invitation. We have it every Sunday. We do it for a reason. 
I believe people need to share their hearts. I believe people need to come and pray. I believe people need to reveal their brokenness before a holy God, not, be, not in front of a broken pastor. <laughs> um, you know why we need brokenness? Because it reveals true change. And so maybe today you would come and kneel and pray again and just say, God, I want to spend extra time with you and uh, help me to do so. Maybe it's, Lord, I don't know you, but I want to. Let me just offer this up to you. Here in a few minutes, there will be a few of us up here. And we would love to talk to you about how to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've heard me say those words a few times. And you may not know what that is. Maybe today you came into our worship service and you said, okay, this church does weird things like they spend extra time in prayer. They, they sing weird songs. They allow this guy to preach and he preached way too long today. That's okay with all of us. But maybe today you would start a conversation of what is this all about? And you'd like to ask that question. We'd love to answer it as well. No matter what it is, in our invitation time, we sing. And we sing because we worship a holy God. And we want to invite you into that kind of worship. So, for those of us who have Jesus, and we woke up today and we weren't in heaven, we get the opportunity, like Paul said, to make much of Jesus. Don't waste your day. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that in this room, there is somebody that may not know you, that today they would give their heart to you. God, we need you to speak over us. Lord, we want to hear from you. So, Lord, would you come and fill this place like we've sung about. Holy Spirit, would you change the atmosphere of this room right now. God, we need you. Lord, we disagree with Frederick from the 1800s. You aren't dead. Nor are you silent. Nor are you invisible. Lord, you are alive and working in us. So God, praise you for what you continue to do. And Lord, may you have these next few moments as evidence that we came to worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.